We have two sponsors for this week's show. We have Dream Symbols. If by now you don't know about Dream Symbols, you're missing out. So check out DreamSymbols.com. Go to your local drum shop where they might be carrying some Dream Symbols. These are handmade B20 bronze symbols uh, made in China but designed by some drummers and percussionists in Canada. Uh, Check out the Bliss, Vintage Bliss, Contact Series, Energy Series, and also check out some of their effects. They have the um, Crop Circle. That's a attachment that you can put on your snare drum or other symbols all kinds of cool stuff little bells gongs all kinds of stuff so go to dreamsymbols.com and like them on facebook twitter and instagram the show is also brought to you by rbh drums rbh drums is a virginia-based custom shop that specializes in making vintage style drums in particular three ply uh, most often mahogany, poplar mahogany. That would be the Monarch series, which has uh, reinforcement hoops. And they also have the Westwood series, which is a three-ply shell without reinforcement hoops. I'm going to be using the Westwood kit for my PASIC clinic next week. So if you're coming to Indianapolis for PASIC, you can come check out that kit in person. Uh, I'm really happy to have them sponsor the show. Also check out their snare drums, the Prestige series, solid shell snare drums. Those are uh, kind of like the old Radio Kings, real, real dense, musical, uh, warm, rich sound from cherry, maple, all kinds of different timbers. So thanks to RBH Drums. Thanks to Dream Symbols. Let's get this show rolling. kind of lagging today episode 166 i feel like we're in a little bit of a, a slump and we can't we can't do that our listeners need more from us not with aurelian aurelian he even told us how to pronounce it and i screwed it up aurelian aurelian yeah you got it all right that's aurelian's beat he's from france and what did he say yeah he's making fun of the fact that um our podcast has gone further around the world than i have yes that's true i've not left the united states <laughs> you're not a big traveler not a big traveler well i like well i don't know i don't know i mean it, there's so much area to explore in new york and pennsylvania alone mm, whatever yeah it's an excuse maybe i'm a felon Dude. who knows <laughs> <laughs> can't get that passport going well aurelian thank you for your group sounded fantastic buddy and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Episode 166 is a little jam-packed. We're going to be talking about Mike Clark. We've got polyrhythmic rudiment applications with Aaron Edgar. Uh, the drum G's thing and drum G like bungee is pretty cool, <laughs> and I hadn't seen it, so I'm excited to review that product. And then we'll get to a bunch of you guys' listener questions, as we always do, and we'll give you our picks of the week, which Mike and I will figure out eight seconds before we say it. I've got mine. Or did you figure yours out? I've got mine selected. I remember what it was. It just took me a minute to clear the cobwebs of of chaos. That is my brain these days. That, by the way, uh, Aurelian's beat was recorded using nothing but the Yamaha EAD-10, so... If you like Boom. the way that sounds, that's a simple plug-and-play option to just get your drums recorded. And it used the Record and Share app, which is an iPhone app, iPad app. It's all done in one fell swoop. Sounded Love good. It. By the way, uh, so when I got the EAD-10, full disclosure, I am a Yamaha DTX artist, they said, hey, can you make some video content for us? I said, yeah, of course. And for whatever reason, I didn't find it that inspiring to share the video content of using it. I don't, for whatever reason. And that's always Mm. a hard thing to explain to a company is like, eh, I'm sitting here trying to make the video, but I don't like making product videos. I only want to make videos that are 
if you saw my last video that I posted on Instagram, it was kind of a video for an Audio Technica mic, but it was mm. inspired. It wasn't like it wasn't for Audio Technica. It was inspired because somebody said, "Of course, you get a great drum sound. You have a twelve hundred dollar microphone," and that made me run and grab my hundred and fifty dollar microphone. Yeah. So, anyways, someone at this last camp said, "Hey, can you set up the EAD ten? Do you have one?" I said, "Yeah, of course, man." And so I set it up. And we put it on one of the kits in my private lesson room, and it, it all dawned on me. You almost have to experience it in person. Yeah. It's not meant for video content. I mean, it's meant for creating video content, but I mean, to sell it, to get people jazzed about it, they have to put on the headphones and then look all over the room for, wait, where are the mics? Yeah, that's you know, true. Because the, yeah. just- the stuff you can actually translate is the, the presets that you'll never actually use, the weird stuff. The soup's like, okay, well, then right. you're just going to you're going to sound goofy with these Boom. phaser sounds. But that, for me, it's the compressor preset is the one. But it just sounds like yes. good-sounding drums. So it's, what do you it's, do? And, and like I said, you just have to be there. And then once I did that, I couldn't get them off the kit. Then Chris Brewer from Minel, uh, the A&R from Minel, he came to the last day of camp. He tried it. I couldn't get him out of the room. <laughs> and so then it was like it all dawned on me. You, you really have to try that product out in person. Uh, to to get the benefit out of it and to see how cool it is, and then all of a sudden I was juiced on it. Then I was like, "Yeah, and it can do this, and it can do this." Oh, yeah. And you know, where in the past I've always been like, "Ah, it's cool. It's just, you know, I don't know how to show you what it does unless you get a chance to try it." So you have to maybe take it outside where there's obviously no electricity, <laughs> you know, or something <laughs> yeah, right. like that. Like, right? I think uh, really it's it just comes down to your Amazon Prime account. If you have free returns, free shipping, <laughs> try it out. Once you try it out, you'll fall in love with it. Probably won't return it, but I use it. All uh, the it time. is a pretty cool. For me, I, yeah, I it's love a pretty it. cool product. It's, it's definitely a uh, a layering effect. So that's what I use it for. If I want to nice. just bring in that way, because I, I deconstructed my my experimental effects rig, which had a rack, full on rack of like distortion effects and reverbs. That's all gone. So all of my effects processing is either coming from the EAD10 or whatever handful of effects are in my tiny little Behringer mixer now. And I'm, wow. you, know, you know, I'm not missing having the, you know, $500 worth of random effects processors. I'm not missing right. it. And it's not in this big old rack. It looks really silly. looks like Dave right. Michael circa 1992 or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Jeez. I remember, I, I remember, and I remember like your rack was your cool kid ID card. Yeah. I had a rack just for my throne back when I was triggering my throne <laughs> And everything, and people are like, "What's that for?" I'm like, "Oh, it's just for my throne. You'll never hear it. I'm not sending it anywhere. It goes through this Alesis machine into a power oh, amp, into all this, into my butt, so I can vibrate my throne." Um, but then, then Porter and Davies made that a little bit more simple. So, oh yeah, that'll have to be right. a, a pick of the week for me. I actually purchased the the super compact one that they just put oh, out. Oh really? Yeah. So once I have a little bit more time, because I'm still using the bigger one in, in my studio. But yeah, we'll have to review that because it's super compact. You can fit it, fit it in like a six and a half inch snare drum case with the with the throne top and the motor. I mean, it's oh, that's really cool. That's always cool. been kind of the turn off to me. It's not that I don't like using it because uh, I know uh, Ash Stone uses it. So it's always when we do the camp in Ireland, it's always on his kit, and I enjoy it. I think, and I like I said, myself, John Otto, and uh, John from Stained. The three of us homemade all of ours back mm. in like the mid 2000s. So obviously I was into it, but it just became such a hassle. And then when I see the Porter and Davies one, the regular one, it's 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 similar where it's like you know what if I was on tour totally, but just to have it at my practice space, it's it's just too much extra yeah. stuff. Um, but to know that they've made a compact version is is awesome. So yeah. 
All righty. Well, let's get into it. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. First off, Aaron Edgar's polyrhythmic rudiment application article. This is in the current issue of Modern Drummer magazine with the oh-so-handsome Rich Redman on the cover. And Aaron... <laughs> did, he, did he reach out to you, by the way? No, no. Yeah, he sent me a text, uh, you know, typical Rich fashion, very, very thankful. I was like, I don't have Mike's info or else I'd tell him the same. And I sent him your number. I was hoping he would oh, just okay. randomly call you, but he hasn't <laughs> yet. He might have. I mean, I, I never answer my phone, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure he's like, hey, man, are you cool? Are you hitting on me? <laughs> Not hitting on you, Rich. It's just annoying how fantastic you are. Uh, so, yeah, so Rich is on the cover. Aaron Edgar wrote the article, and this is about taking something that you already know, uh, hopefully, which in this case is the right-hand lead, para-diddle-diddle, right-left, right-right-left-left. Para is two singles. Diddle is double. So para-diddle-diddle is single-single, double-double evenly spaced and then doing it in different subdivisions so that it can give you that polymetric feel. Um, I got to say number one mm -hmm. on this, which is just playing quarter notes on the bass drum yeah. and playing the paradiddle diddle as 16th notes. So it'll, it'll loop itself in three, four, yep. one E and a two E and a three E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a while keeping that one E and a two E. Uh, so who one E and a two E and a three E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a, that that is probably one of the most useful polyrhythmic elements that you could ever have as a musician that doesn't yeah. give a crap about polyrhythms. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think anytime I play in 3-4, there's going to be a good percentage of time where I'm implying that 2 against the 3-4. Because it, yeah. it kind of just keeps it from being this waltzy, boom, chick, chick, boom, chick, chick. It just right. smooths it out. Puts it in a duple feel, which is more more comfortable for most people. Yeah, and I think that that's something that you could do endlessly, you know, endlessly, because you could do that with the paradiddle diddle. You could do it with a six stroke roll mm -hmm. uh, sticking. You could do it with a double paradiddle. Um, but with this one, it's pretty cool because most people feel that paradiddle diddle, you know, if you're playing it as a groove, it works great as a 16th note triplet vibe to have paradiddle diddle, paradiddle diddle, paradiddle diddle, right. para and give it that halftime feel. Well, in here, he's accenting the right hand on the hi-hat. So you have against this doom doom so even though that is like i'm sure to aaron that's like a joke he's like wait i, I just threw that in there because yeah. i had to it doesn't get started till two three and four but that one is one of those ones where even if you just say yeah, i'm not into polyrhythms i don't care about metric modulation i don't care about all this stuff you do yeah. this is very musical I think this what the beauty of this article f for me is yeah you got all this really sticking based stuff but what it's teaching you is how to hear the polyrhythm so with example one right. the first thing that i would do is learn it as written second thing i would do would be exaggerate the accent and play everything else as ghost notes third thing i would do would be get rid of everything but the bass drum and the accents so and now you're literally just playing two in your hand and three in your foot so you're right. what the goal for me with these exercises is to 
remove everything but the polyrhythm so then I can hear it and phrase at will using just that polyrhythm. But using the sticking as what gets me to that point where I can actually hear the polyrhythm. Yeah, I think filling in all the notes is a step that shouldn't be underestimated. It's, it's super important. And then, like you said, you can take the notes away. The other thing that is really helpful for the people that when you take all the notes away and you just it just falls apart, one of the best things you can do is just move all of the notes except for the primary notes. Mm. Um, move them all to your lap and only put the primary notes on the snare drum. So you still feel them. It's just your ear starts to hear where it all oh, lines yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, I do that a ton. And then once I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the train wheels off, then I get rid of those notes. But I'm still playing them on my lap. So physically I feel everything. I know that my subdivisions are correct. I'm not rushing. I'm not dragging. But I only hear the polyrhythm. All right. So it gets gets squirrely right away in example two. So if you want to play, what is that, five over six. (laughs) Which, who doesn't in their pop band? (laughs) <laughs> you play quarter notes with the bass drum, so that gives you your six. You use a quintuplet. You're in quintuplets. You play a quintuplet yep. subdivision, but you play the paradiddle-diddle sticking. So now the accent yeah. on your hands is outlining a five over top of the six in your feet. It sounds so complicated, but I think when you look at it, it's like, oh, of course, it makes sense. You know, I think the only thing that would throw someone off if they were used to reading and, and had experimented a little bit with this stuff and knew a little bit about quintuplets is you're going to fight to play that sticking pattern and keep your subdivision in check. Yeah, You're so used to playing that subdivision or that sticking pattern as 16th note triplets. And with quintuplets, you're only one note away from it. And you're just going to fall into your own. Pretty much I'll give you a heads up. If at any point in time you're like, I think I got it, that's how you know you Shifted. don't have it. <laughs> yep, you should, You went straight back to 16th note triplets. Oh, um, that totally reminds me. The um, the single stroke roll breakthrough that I yeah. was bragging about. Yeah, total, total fake news. <laughs> total fake news. You mean you didn't improve 25 BPM what it in did, one day? Well, what, what happened what was... Happened? I was just subconsciously switching uh, subdivisions. So my single stroke roll was still the same pace, but I was able to accurately put it into the different tempos without having to think about it. I still call that a win. So now I can play my (laughs) single stroke roll and and start and stop accurately and not feeling like I'm guessing where the downbeats are. But yeah, it was total fake news. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm playing sevens. Those aren't eights. (laughs) That's Uh. not fair. (laughs) Yeah, when it's uh, less notes, the tempo goes up. Um, it's like, it doesn't well, make any you know sense. What? My roll was sounds the same. <laughs> props to you for being honest about it. Super props. Total fake um, news. I'm man, still where was stuck. I? I, I think I was at camp or something, and someone was super inspired by that. Like, man, even somebody that's been playing as long as Dawson can make a 20 BPM improvement one day. And I'm like, well... First of all, it happened on a day. But he didn't yeah. make the improvement in one day. And... Uh, 
I don't know. It seems like a lot. Fake news. Cool. I feel better about my life. The reason that I felt like it was justifiable was I hadn't really tested my max speed. It's kind of like I was going 60, 70%. I'm like, let me just keep going, see what happens. Like, oh, I keep adding and keep adding. And I wasn't, didn't even realize that I was literally dropping subdivisions. Taking notes out. Well, so for all of you out there practicing, you're going to hit that wall and you're never going to break through. You're never going to break through. And even if you do, Carter McLean will come to your house and steal your sticks because he's never going to let anybody have better singles than him. And I'm okay with that. All right. So after that, then he takes us into septuplets. So now that accent is happening earlier in your grouping or it feels like it, like it's happening before the coordinate, where before the accent was happening after the coordinate pulse. This stuff is really difficult to describe and to explain only using the means of audio, mm-hmm. using my voice. I'm telling you, if you saw it, the things I'm saying and the things that Mike is saying would make a little bit more sense. Yeah, you almost have um, to just take it like one, one tiny little concept at a time. So example three, the bass drum plays quarter notes. Your hands are playing seven, you know, septuplet subdivisions. Septuplet. So seven yep. notes per quarter note. And then you put the sticking of right, left, right, right, left, left over top of that. Right. Which then so, gives you a seven over six polyrhythm if you only pay attention to the accents and the kick drum. Right. Now, okay, so let's just say combined, you and I have at least 60 years of drumming experience. And this number three is probably past the point of you and I being able to sight read it, play it properly, and get it, and do it right away. Do And mm-hmm. when I heard Aaron do this, it wasn't one of those things like where I go, man, I have a use for that. I wish I could use it. So here's the age-old question. And I went through this a lot with Pete Magadini, the guy that really got a lot of credit for bringing polyrhythms to the American drummer. Is it important to practice things that you don't think the outcome, the end result, sounds good? Is it important to physically push yourself? Yeah, this was something I actually talked about a little bit in, in one of my clinics over the weekend, that intellectualizing forcing yourself to comprehend things that are beyond your current level is is only going to make you better because you can it it just expands your palate like if i'm improvising now because i have practiced these things a ton in college like i want want to be able to just play five against four at will sure so those phrases are in my vocabulary so occasionally i might go into something and i'm like oh how do i get out of this what am i doing and my hands just know you 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 snuck in some quintuplets so here's how to resolve it so i'm seeing it kind of manifesting in improvisation more of like get out of trouble (laughs) yeah i call them like get out of jail free cards being able to perceive the you know keep a strong sense of where the pulse is and then I can kind of float in and out of, of different subdivisions. Like this, that's what this stuff kind of does for me. Like I have sevens and nines and fives in my vocabulary. I just very rarely go to them, but they're there. Yeah. If I happen and to fall into it, I can get out of it. I think it's also similar to having great form in anything physical, meaning that you know, if, if I'm struggling just to do some push-ups, to do five push-ups, and I'm buggy whipping and my arms are shaking and my form's going to crap, then working on more complex lifts, working on developing my body overall, six months from now I can go back and do those same five push-ups or 20 push-ups with perfect form without struggling as much. And I think that that is how I see some of this stuff. Sometimes I when sometimes when I just wasn't allowed to question Pete just because, you know, really I was in my 20s. There's, mm-hmm. You don't get to question him or you just get to stop taking lessons. Um, 
but sometimes what would happen would be I would just say, okay, this is going to make me play a pop groove with so much more fluidity and flow uh, or playing in my rock band or whatever. Even if I never use this, I just know what's available to me. I know the rhythmic highway that's in front of me, and I can just stay in my lane a lot easier without any stress. And And then I'm free to concentrate on time, feel, texture, volume, dynamics, yeah. and you know interaction with the other players. So yeah, it can't hurt um, you. Have you checked out Rick, uh, Rick Beato, the producer? He developed a, a system of early exposure music of exposing children to really complex music at an early age. Have you heard anything about no, this? He did. No. He developed a whole app for it. I think it's called Neural. Mm. So there's, I, I guess he did enough research that it's it's. It's pretty well scientifically proven that the first two or three years of a child's life is when all the the mental capacity for math and all that stuff, those pathways are kind of ingrained. Okay. So you can develop perfect pitch only during that short window of time. So wow. no adult can ever develop perfect pitch. It's just impossible. So gotcha. he developed an app where it's basically a playlist of really complex music. So you play it while the, you know, the baby's still in the womb and then you play it during the first two years of life. And then you eventually introduce a little electronic keyboard and start plucking out melodies. Both of his children have absolute perfect pitch. And that's also translated into, um, I think his son knows like several languages fluently and he's like way advanced in mathematics. He's probably going to graduate high school as a early teenager. So it's, So my point in bringing it up is this concept of exposing yourself to really complex stuff then makes the experience of simple stuff much more uh, gratifying because he also just loves music now. And he's a good singer. I mean, I think it translates and you expose yourself to this really seemingly like not applicable to your drumming. But once you can hear a five and a seven, you're going to hear a 16th note with so much more confidence. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, and I think that that's why these things are extremely important. And I think it's tough for us to put a lot of work into something. It takes a lot of foresight to put so much effort into something that you may not have a direct use for without altering it. Uh, I think we all go through that. Like, well, I'm never going to use this exact, I'm never going to use this pad of fla fla as 16th note triplets. Therefore, I will not practice it. And it's like, mm. I. Yeah, Man, he, he can't I, be like yeah, he can't be like workmanship no. about everything. It's sometimes no. you have to just go for stuff just because. <laughs> Not to mention, I think it's really, really important for older drummers, you know, like us old men. I think it's really important for us to constantly be learning things instead of always going backwards into our own past and saying like Oh yeah, I, I used to be really good at this. Let me brush this one up again. It's like why don't you learn something new? Yeah. And you know, my last six months of campers had to endure the torture of accented double strokes and accenting threes, fours, mm. fives, sixes, sevens, claves, cascara patterns, all these things inside of double strokes. And I'm not talking about a single note. I'm talking about accenting it without ever stopping the right, right, left, left. They had to endure that because I just learned it myself because I forced myself to see how far I could go with double strokes. After Carter said, accent every fifth note of a paradiddle. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, how about I start with double strokes? So so anyways, uh, I think it's really important and articles like this can really help. So everyone check out Aaron Edgar's article in the current issue of Modern Drummer. It's called Polyrhythmic Rudiment Applications and it's in the Rock Perspectives section. All right, it is time to talk about our featured artist and our featured artist no, it's this not. time. It's time to talk about our sponsor. 
<laughs> I thought. I, see, I, I kind of felt like sponsor was maybe before product. My bad. Go deep into the sponsors. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> we have a double sponsor this week, so we want to make sure to um, give, give some highlight to RBH Drums, who's sponsoring the episode. They are going to be supporting my clinic at PASIC next week with a beautiful Westwood Series drum set. If you go to their website, rbhdrumsusa.com, if you look at the Westwood Series page, you'll see the exact setup that I'm going to be playing, which is a Champagne Sparkle 12, 14, 20. Gorgeous drums. I can't wait to play them. I've never actually hit these drums before, so I will be getting to know the instrument as I am teaching a bunch of people that I do not know. It should be interesting. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. It's a three-ply uh, shell mahogany with a poplar core. Um, the difference between the Westwood series and the typical, not typical, but RBH's Monarch line is the Westwood does not have reinforcement hoops. The Monarch line has maple reinforcement hoops. Got it. Beautiful kit. Yeah, I... I think uh, one of the best things you can do when you start becoming a traveling cl- traveling clinician is playing whatever kit is there because it inspires you in different ways. So I'm sure that RBH kit will inspire you greatly. The only yeah. thing that sucks is when it inspires you so much that you actually want it. Yeah, That's it will not be my no kit. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> it will That's be. You say that now. <laughs> it will be first now. sale. So if you come to Pasek and you like the kit, it will be in their booth the whole weekend. You can. Check it out, tune it a bunch of different ways, take it home with you if you like it enough. And they're also going to be supplying a prestige uh, solid shell snare drum. So that's going to be super cool. So that's RBS Drums. Thanks for sponsoring the show, and we'll see you guys there next week. And if you're at PASIC, my clinic is at noon on Thursday. Get out there, everyone. All right. Like I said, it's time to talk about Mike Clark because... <laughs> Hello. Uh, he was the first professional drummer I ever hung out with in person without actually going to a show. Oh, uh, I was, he's from, he was living in your area at the time? Yeah, I think he was maybe in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, and he came through. I was 17 years old working at Drum and Guitar City in downtown Sacramento or midtown Sacramento. And he came through and I, I only knew of him through Modern Drummer. Like I just had seen his name a few times. I'd seen him in some ads mm-hmm. and he came through just to see the shop. And I was just a kid working behind the counter oh, and cool. he came in and, and he said, do you have a few minutes? And I said, yeah, of course, man. And, uh, he took me into the private lesson room. I wasn't even teaching yet. And he just started like teaching me stuff. Really? Um, yeah, it was really, it was really <laughs> weird. And unfortunately for me, I didn't have, you know, my my quest into drumming history and the pantheon of drummers came much later in my life. It wasn't until I was on tour in my mid-20s, bored out of my mind, that I started really researching people. And we had more access to digital music, and I could research people mm-hmm. much easier than going to Tower Records and buying something. And so, unfortunately, at the time, I only knew who Mike Clark was because he was in Modern Drummer. So I knew he was somebody, but I didn't know why. And so I, unfortunately, didn't get a chance to take as much advantage of the moment as I would have if I could uh, meet him again today. But it was just really cool. He, I mean, there was, nothing, there was no clinic to be done. He just came in, checked out our shop, gave this kid a lesson and then left and he was really cool man so he just had some uh, ideas he just had to share with somebody i mean yeah it was really kind of weird he was like he's like play me a groove and i did and he immediately plugged his ears and uh he's like he's like i'm four feet away from you man why are you hitting the drums that hard i was like i i don't know that's i don't know any other way to hit him 
Yeah, it was pretty rad. Hey, kid, let's um, go hang, and I'm going to rip you to shreds. Pretty, yeah, but it was you could tell it was coming from a good place, you know, and that's why I feel like it fell on deaf ears because I wasn't ready to be a musician yet. I wasn't ready mm-hmm. to be anything other than a heavy rock hitter, and I wish I could have had that exact same experience now because – I'd take every word, you know. I mean, when you listen to him play, holy hell. So yep. <laughs> let's talk about Mike Clark. I want to just let that sit for a minute. That's a beautiful story. And it's very kind of, uh, you know, I've interacted with Mike a little bit, kind of same way, kind of stranger, but instantly it's kind of just charmingly cool. He's just a good hang. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's, I think he's just always down for a hang, which makes him perennial. You know, just cool guy, super fun story guy. Yeah, yeah for sure. So he was all you know at the Modern Drummer Festival backstage for no reason. He doesn't know who I am. Just would be chatting and just talking shop, and he would go into some really funny stories about random stuff. So if you don't know Mike Clark, uh, he probably wouldn't want me to come out of the gate saying this, but he's best known for his work with Herbie Hancock during Herbie's kind of funk fusion era. The album Thrust might be top twenty-five greatest jazz fusion records, I think. Uh, so we're going to drop in a little bit of audio from the tune Actual Proof, which I think kind of demonstrates his approach most poignantly. So this is Actual Proof. Okay, so... It's tough to, I mean, obviously Mike Clark is his own artist, but if we're trying to compare that style, you can hear that there's a little bit of that Garibaldi syncopated funk thing, but Mm -hmm. there's a smoothness to it. It's not quite as rigid as that. There's a smoothness to it. There's a, like a, I don't really know how to explain it. It's, it's definitely its own thing for sure. I think, um, uh, Mike's featured in the December issues. If you're going to read more about what he's up to, he's a great jazz drummer. And I think he's always been, he would identify himself as a jazz drummer. So when the Herbie gig came along, it was like, okay, well, how do I do my jazz thing in a funk feel? So the way I kind of conceive his playing is like, what would Elvin Jones do if someone said, learn David Garibaldi's style? There you go. It's just this ever kind of bubbly, non-repetitive, super syncopated, funky, you know, uh, impressionistic version of of East Bay funk or something. Yeah, that's the thing is like the feel is on loop, but the groove isn't – the groove note for note isn't on loop like a Tower of Power thing where you can transcribe the groove. This is like the feel is on loop, but it's evolving and it's – pretty cool man which is cool to see him because he you know that's like one of the first things people ask him in clinics is what are you playing an actual proof and he'll play it but you know that it's not exactly what's on the record and it never will be and it never should be right. it's, it's just a vibe yeah. of broken 16s the left hand can play the backbeat or not it's uh, yeah i mean it, like every once in a while you're like oh james brown and then <laughs> right. it's gone and you're like or not oh tower power or not uh Pretty cool stuff. And, you know, the one thing I do love about Mike Clark is just like you were saying, he probably wouldn't want us to to lead with this stuff because he's still going and not even just going musically. 
Go check him out on social media. That dude goes in. He goes in. I, I think love he, it, man. I think he's he's got it. opinions. I think he's reined it in a little bit. A couple years ago, he was really letting loose. But, yeah, he did some kind of spoof educational videos. Did you see those? Yes. Yeah, they're yes. pretty funny. If you haven't seen them yet, yeah, check out Mike Clark's Facebook page and just scroll back to past year or so. There's some pretty funny stuff. Yeah, you. I mean, you have to almost know him to get it. It's a little bit like uh, – the was it Polynesian Nightmare, the very first spoof drum lesson that yeah. fooled everyone. Right, and I mean, you can read two thousand comments of people being like, "This guy's a terrible teacher." It's like, well, he's on Saturday Night Live. Well, so. that, that was Jens Henneman, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the uh, way, Fred Armisen came to the Montgomery Festival the year before that came out in character and did not break character. Really, it was it was so strange. He just was wow. he was Jens Henneman backstage at the Montreal. Oh, he, he didn't even perform. He didn't even like come out to the crowd. No, he was just there to just experience the festival and and oh my God. I guess kind of grassroots promote his new persona, Jens Henneman. <laughs> well, the problem so the problem with that was it was early YouTube. The problem with Mike Clark doing it was some people don't know his personality, don't know that he's you know he's got a little bit of that. He's got a sense of humor. Yeah, but. He's such a he's such a commanding figure that you can't assume that it's a joke. Right. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on here, man? Um, but yeah, he's a fantastic player. So, do you know where he's located now? He's been in New York for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's out and about, which is again, I, I I hope to be as energetic as him when I get to his age because he's he's out on the scene every night and I'm not. But he's out hanging and playing and sitting in or just hanging. Um, he's got a new record out. What the heck is the title of it? Super Prepared. <laughs> he leads his own band. So if you just look up, uh, I think it's called the Mike Clark Experience or Wolf. It's called the Wolf and Clark Expedition. That's another band. He's, you know, he's, got, he's always putting out records. Um, what's the one? We've got Life Cycle is one of his organ trio records. I mean, just so many stuff. And also, this is a hidden gem. Mike Clark put out some breakbeat records probably 10 years ago. Wait, what? Yeah, so if you can find them, I found them back in the day of eMusic. Remember that website? Yeah, yeah, of course. So he just went to the studio and just played like 15 tracks of breakbeats, and they're just all improvised, different tempos, different styles. So if you want to study his drumming, those are great. Fantastic. I think there's, I think there's two there's a- of them. There's a quote in the article that I really like. He's talking about how his kit has evolved over the years and how the gear he's playing has evolved. And it says, uh, when I play my old Gretsch drums or my old Ks, I start to play a little bit like the people I love to listen to on records back in the day, uh, even though my personality is strong in what I'm playing. When I'm playing my DW kit and my Istanbul cymbals, it's really me. It's my sound. I'm not impersonating anybody. And I think that that's something all of us – that's the gear we should be searching for. The gear that lets your sound come through and your personality come through, that's what you need to be searching for. I promise you that Zildjian, Sabian, Peisty, Meinl, Istanbul, Dream, off-brand symbol companies you've never heard of, they all make great stuff. Yeah. Everyone's making great stuff. Find the one that allows your personality to come through. This guy has probably played every kit known to man. He's touched every stick, used every head, but he found something with DW and uh, his Istanbul symbols that – allow him to express himself to his fullest potential. And what I love is he's saying, like, dude, I, I have an old Gretsch kid. I have some old Ks. They're amazing. Mm. But they're not me. And yeah. that's what we all have to find is we have to – and I hope we all find it you know, earlier in life rather than later in life because I, that's – I probably – 
I would say that's my highest ranking jealousy factor is when I see somebody that knows who they are as an artist. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's just like, oh, that's that's a search that I'm still on. Yeah, that's the for me, that's a Steve Gadd effect where he just sounds like him every gig, yeah. but it's always appropriate. He's like, you sound like right. Steve Gadd. If anyone else thrust their personality on the music, it would be like, oh, God, can you stop? being you know who are whoever you are right but gag and do his thing i have that that problem with jazz kits like i have a, a mm. jazz kit set up now and immediately i just go to like the vocabulary that i'm not comfortable with like why am i trying to play 1950s hard bop like <laughs> why in traditional grip why do i then right. handcuff myself and flip the stick right. over when you know what that's uh who is it uh bill stewart mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean somebody that definitely I kind of watch him and just go like, dude, he doesn't, you know, that was the first time I'd seen anybody when he played the Modern Drummer Festival. It was the first time I'd ever seen a legit jazz player play jazz, but with matched grip. Yeah, and um, it totally works. And the thing with Bill, he's he's a perfect example of that, too. He's had his sound for the past 25 years, and he hasn't felt a need to change it because it is him. Right. It is a It yeah. is quintessentially him beautiful that's something i think we all need to find in everything and mike clark brings that to us so if you guys get a chance please check out the article it's just in the feature section um stories by ken i'm not even gonna try that last name and the, yep and the photos <laughs> are by john fell so check it out and and like i said this isn't something where you have to di- you can dig into the past to get the history but follow mike clark for what he's doing now all right another sponsor nope we're going to go right to the Sweet. gear review. <laughs> I am knocking it out of the park. You're clearly not looking at the outline. Nope. Um, oh, I see. After Okay, after the listener questions. Uh, seriously, I can't wait to get on this plane and just get the hell out of here. I'm done dealing with you, Dawson. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, do we, need uh, to, do we need to let people know where you're going to be? We haven't talked about that yet. I don't know. No, okay. I'll be at a I'll be at a drum festival in Poland. Then I've got five, four dates in Germany, and then I'll be at a drum festival in Spain. But in Spain, um, well, in Poland I get to play with Josh Dion. That's awesome. Cool. Good hang with him. And then in Spain I get to hang with. Do you know Miguel uh, Lamas or Yamas? Just via social media, I don't really know. I mean, he's just a monster, and so I yeah. can't wait to hang with him, fellow minor artist. And then Dave Elich is on. That festival too, the one in Spain, and I've never done anything with Dave. I've oh, cool. sat next to him once uh, when we judged the drum off finals together, but I don't really know Dave at all, and I've definitely never seen him do a clinic. So, as someone that has you know a, a large social media follower, I'm, I'm excited to see him do his thing because I don't know what his thing is. So uh, cool. that should be really fun. So I'm excited about that, and then I'll be back, and then we will be on a very regular schedule. So let's talk about. Bungees for drums, drum G's. <laughs> yeah, there's been this isn't something that's in the magazine uh, yet, but um, there's been a lot of really cool, funky accessory items that, that pop up over the past year. And one that I got my hands on recently is drum G's. Um, it's sort of for me, it's kind of like the big fat snare drum effect. Like, of course, someone should have done this a long time ago. It's essentially two clamps that hook to your snare drum or bass drum hoop, and there's a bungee cord that connects them, so then you can hook anything to that bungee cord. You can, like whenever I put a splash cymbal on a snare drum for that kind of white noise digital effect, it inevitably bounces off or slides around. So you can use the drum G to hold it, and it's not going to move. Or you can put rattles on your drums, or you can put all kinds of stuff. Um, I got to say, the one thing that I think would just give it um, a very useful sound and you don't have to go um, buy anything is in one of their promos they're showing just a paperback book 
as the mute. But you mm. know if you put that on your snare, it would start moving as soon as you start hitting your snare, just like your wallet does. So not only do you attach things to these, but you just put stuff under it. It's just a way to to hold things down. Yeah, it could hold your wallet. And, yeah. Yeah, so pretty cool. Um, I I didn't understand it. Uh, when I got to their homepage, I was like, I have no idea what this is. Uh, but I got to say, they kind of knocked it out of the park with packaging. Yes. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a sucker for that stuff, man. Yeah, really. It's not, it, you know, the two pack, which is what I have, is 25 bucks. You get a, basically a kick drum version and a, a snare drum or tom version of it. There's other packs if you want to get it for the full kit. Um, I would, I mean, you have to be really kind of experimental to want to put one of these on everything, but go for it if right. you need to. What I found to be a cool use is to put it on the front of the bass drum, and you can put, you know, hang, you know, like a ching ring or um, snare wires, anything that's kind of rattly or, or paper. Right. You can hang paper off of it and have it just kind of create some distortion on your bass drum, but it doesn't affect the the batter side sound. So lots of, I mean, it's really, it's kind of up to you, whatever you want to do with them. They're now, really neat. are they strong enough? Could you use them on the bottom of a drum? Like the bottom of a rack tom, bottom of a floor tom? You think? You know, I haven't tried that. I would say not because there's no locking mechanism other than just natural tension on the bungee itself. So if you pulled it super tight, okay. I don't, I think maybe eventually it would, it would start to lag. Uh, maybe they can they can jump in and share thoughts yeah. on that. It or maybe on the front maybe of the it was something. Drum. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that, I mean that's that's enough. I mean that's that's pure gravity right there. But I, I did hear it on some bass drum stuff that uh, Brody was playing. I think we're going to use a little audio clip of that, and it's just really cool. the The main effect that you're going to hear is um, he's got some chain link stuff on his snare drum, but he's he's using one of these drum excuse me, drum G's uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> on his, I guess, where you would have a rack tom. He's got another snare drum there, but he's got a splash cymbal, which by itself is going to slip to the bottom, yep. but his is not s- slipping to the bottom. But he's also got a minor ching ring on there, and there's no way to get those two to stay together. Yeah. like So, so you can create some really cool combinations. So we'll drop in some audio. This is, if you go to Brody Simpson Drums on YouTube, it's the video called Slightly Wonky Hip Hop Beats. Let's check out a bit of it. funny because you i mean the audio it's cool what's he's got a white noise effect you have to see it he's really whacking the splash symbol and it's not going anywhere it's pretty right. neat and i also love that he's getting such a programmed sound out of a legit drum set that he's playing yeah it's uh, all real and, real sounds and when you see it you can actually see that there's probably not a lot of processing going on it's probably very minimal processing if any because he's actually making these sounds so he wouldn't want to mess with it so 
Yeah, really cool, cool stuff. So on the website drumgees.com, there's there's some videos that kind of show if you want some ideas. There's like a ribbon crasher being suspended on the batter side of a bass drum, so you're getting just a really gnarly effect from that. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. So check them out, Drum G's. It's you super can use affordable. It, you can just hold like a towel if you just have tea towels. Like in yep. that, I'm using binder clips usually, but those I always lose them. So this will hold tea towels on your toms, so you don't have to go crazy like put goat's toes on everything. They're also more kind of utilitarian. <laughs> so if you're vegan, you could just do a tea towel. You don't need to go with a goat's toe. Jeez Louise. Hey, man, don't bash the goat's toes. <laughs> I mean, they got to get their nails clipped. You don't have to it's kill the, the goat to use their toenails. I just, yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't and imagine. you certainly the, don't have to eat the goat to use <laughs> I'm sure it's sensitive walking for that goat the week after you take his toenails. I'm sorry, but I'm starting up a campaign for goats. If anybody wants to join me, MikeAndMikesLessons.com. Let's do this. Okay, Drum G's, the two-pack that Mike is using is 25 bucks. That is an awesome deal. I think we should talk about our sponsor. Really? Okay, let's talk about it. So we got Dream Symbols as our regular sponsor. I'm pretty sure Dream's going to be at Basic too, so go by their booth, check out all their stuff. Uh, last year they had a lot of... Uh, I should, probably should have asked them, but last year they had what they called like a garage sale, which is all kinds of seconds and prototypes, just super discount price. So if you're going to PASIC and they're there, go buy yourself some stuff from Dream. Um, and before you go to PASIC, if you go to dreamsymbols.com backslash lessons, check out the one by Aubrey. Um, and it is Aubrey Dale, I'm going to say. Man, I am so bad with names. D-A-Y-L-E. He did a nice lesson on how to use Ted Reed's syncopation and work on your paradiddles while reading the rhythms that's in Ted Reed's syncopation. So real kind of fundamental, really useful. This would apply for me. That's kind of like my drum fill language. I play accents nice. and then fill it with paradiddle stickings in between. So check that out. So thanks, Dream, for sponsoring. Now we're going to get to some questions. Bring it. All right. Our first question is from Cliff. Um, says, maybe you guys have discussed this before, but my breathing has become terrible while playing. I find myself holding my breath during fills and grooves. I become winded during a song. Um, I'm playing in front of a couple hundred people to a couple thousand people, so I'm a little nervous anyway, which doesn't help my breathing. Any tips would be hugely appreciated. Hmm. Did you deal with that when you're playing like bigger stages where you would all of a sudden lose your breath? No, but I honestly, my band was, <clears throat> excuse me, so cardio driven musically that mm. I, I was just trying to hang on for dear life. So mm. I would say yes, but I, it was due to the kind of music I was playing. Yeah. Uh, now would probably be a much more uh, applicable situ- situation where I'm not playing that hard. I shouldn't be out of breath. And but I'm in a pressure packed situation of playing for a room full of drummers, which you just did this weekend. You know, it's a totally different thing than yeah. playing a sold out club or a sold out theater. Uh, so, no. But I also will say that I don't go. Uh, there are some breathing advocates out there and I'm not generally breathing in time, but I've never held my breath during fills either. So mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of a natural thing. Um, but I do know that it's an issue. It's not like he's making this up. There are some people that hold their breath and I call it muscling up for the fills. 
because I can tell that that bar before the fill, the groove gets a little sketchy. They muscle up, hold their breath, blast through the fill, explode the crash, and then they're back into a groove and they're breathing normally again. I'm like, oh, man, you got to relax. Yeah, I, I'm going to go on a limb and say anyone that does that probably doesn't have a super strong pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Well, the, yeah, I mean, you and you can constantly hear it, in right? and out of like mental intensity. Yep. Agreed. Uh, so one suggestion I would have that I've only practiced a little bit, I can't completely verify that it works 100%, but this was a good way for me to get out of my own way, was to sing along with myself. So you're sing your beats, and then when you get to the fill, sing your fill. And then at some point, you're going to have to take a breath. So if you're not breathing, it's going to force you to breathe naturally where at spots where if you were playing a horn and you played that fill, you'd have to breathe after that fill. So that might be one thing to try. Just try forgetting about your breathing and just actually using your breath to make musical sound along with yourself. And you're going to have to breathe. That might help. That also can kind of, for me, it gets me out of like paying too much attention to what's going on that's distracting. Like, is there somebody looking at me weird? Is, you know, all that mental crap that just makes, for me, makes performances less less natural and less flowy. I, I agree. Um, okay. I, think I guess you could also, answers. too, um, do you know about the Wim Hof breathing technique? Nope. Really? I don't do anything okay. German, man. Is that, is that from Germany? I don't know. He's a Dutch extreme athlete, for <laughs> okay. your information. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but uh, one of our friends of the podcast and uh, an amazing drummer and camper, Spencer Bowman, introduced me to it, and we'll, we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. But just for now, brother, uh, not you, the... Uh, questionnaire. Just check out the Wim Hof, W-I-M space H-O-F. Uh, check out his breathing techniques, and that'll help you a lot to get more oxygen into your body. All, All right, right, next. Next question is from Dylan Estrada. I have a question about the concepts. Oh, by the way, to go back to that question, I don't have trouble breathing when I'm playing. I have trouble breathing when I'm talking, like presenting. Oh, of course. I don't give myself a chance to take a breath. I just keep spewing words, and all of a sudden I'm like, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> happens every single time. Every single yeah. time. It's, uh, it's, it, that's common. Yeah, yeah. It's a drag when I start choking over my own words. <laughs> I personally love it. As someone that has that one thing down, I'm like, yeah. My drumming may have sucked, but at least I can do that. I got that one thing down. Oh, all right, Dylan's all question. Right. I have a question about the concepts of vertical and horizontal time. Okay. The way I understand them is that horizontal time has to do with accurately hitting downbeats or bars, while vertical time has more to do with playing the subdivisions between beats accurately. I don't know where I heard about the concepts, but I can't find any explanations of it anywhere. Okay. And then he's looking so, for suggestions on how to get better at, I guess, either one. I would assume you probably heard the concept here on this podcast. I reference it a lot. The concept came to me from a guitarist that I was jamming with, and he was a student of Wayne Krantz. So the concept came to him from Wayne Krantz and then came to me through that. And what it was was him telling me, dude, you have good horizontal time. We just need to work on our horizontal or on our vertical time together, meaning how we interpret the notes in between the pulses. And I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. So Wayne was explaining to him, if you don't know Wayne Krantz, the great fusion jazz guitarist, check him out, please. Um, he's got the Wayne Krantz trio that usually involves Keith Carlock on drums. So anyways, 
the quarter note would be your horizontal time. In between that quarter note, let's say that I was in uh, the subdivision of 30-second notes, slower groove, playing 30-second notes, there'd be one pulse for every eight notes. So that means that one out of every eighth note, eight notes, is taken care of for me. And then I'm responsible for the timing of the next seven notes all on my own. I'm left to my own devices for seven notes, and I can push and pull those next seven notes as much as I want and still land on the next pulse, which on a horizontal time level will tell me like, yeah, man, I'm crushing it, but I could really jack up those seven notes Mm -hmm. and still land on the beep. Now, when you bring in the the vertical time into your metronome, which is something I'm kind of preaching to my students now, don't start with quarter notes. Start with the actual subdivision and then slowly take those subdivisions away. Go from 16th notes, if that's your feel, down to eighths, down to quarters, then maybe to half notes and then a gap click. So it's you're slowly becoming more and more responsible for your time. So you, I never saw an article on this or anything. It was kind of given to me third hand um, th- from Wayne Krantz. So that's the concept of it. Yeah, I think of it um, if you're a visual person. If you think of the measure as the horizontal because you have to draw the, the staff horizontally. Okay. So you got beats one to beat one. You have to draw a horizontal line to create your staff. The moment you put vertical lines, which would be your quarter notes or your eighth notes or your 16th notes, that's when you're dividing up that space. So that's how right. I think of horizontal being the entire space. Entire bar. And then the moment you start putting signposts up, that's your vertical time. Half notes, quarter yeah. notes, eighth notes. And, and to me, it's just really whatever your subdivision ends up being, no matter what's happening, I could play a quarter note groove through the song. And still, once again, I could even mess up those quarter notes and still land on the one. Yep. It could be like one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Four, and still and be like, yeah, I nail the one because there's a loud beep on one and I keep hitting it. Yeah. But your vertical time is still a little jacked. Yeah, All right, next. Drunk. Well, let's, let's, I want to go a little bit deeper into that one. Oh, about get out what, of town. Um, what I do for that. So, okay. Because this has been my obsession for better part of a decade at this point. Um, I put earbuds in and put the metronome on 16th notes and then play sticking patterns you know whatever go through stick control ultimately i end each session with improvising random stickings within that pulse and it's not so much about am i playing cool stickings it's like am i flamming any one of those subdivisions so i'm just trying to fine-tune my hearing for the subdivisions and anytime i flam something it's just like a red flag like slow it down bring it back yep you know drop the tempo way down so that's one way i practice it the other way I think you can improve your vertical time, which would be subdivision control, uh, which I got from Bill Billy Ward, is if you're playing in 16th notes, can you sing triplets? If you're playing in 12-8 or 6-8, can you sing the 16th notes and maintain that really strong sense of pulse? So that way you've got all these gears kind of turning underneath. So you can kind of shift in and out of 16ths and triplets and not lose that sense of, you know, where's the pulse? And better yet, how does the 16th note line up with what I'm doing? So those are two things I do a lot. Um, And most recently, I've been trying to sing quarter notes while playing like rudimental snare drum solos, which is super frustrating because I've been playing these solos for since I was 13. And I can't get through them without skipping over the hard parts <laughs> you know i'll be like yeah one two three four one four. <laughs> so you just gotta you just gotta That's like awesome. spend some time i think uh 
just really zeroing in on those. Sub- it's, I think it's mostly ear training. Your hands will yep. follow once your ears know what they're hearing. Agreed. This is our last question. It's from Zach. Um, he says, as my fingers get faster, especially on my dominant hand, I'm finding it harder and harder to play doubles using my wrist. My playing on the pad has slowed down so much lately. It's almost like learning the paradiddle from scratch again because I have to constantly focus on my right hand making two solid wrist movements instead of one downstroke and using the rebound in my fingers to pull the stick back up. I want to be as relaxed as I can. Uh, but not to the point where bad technique uh, comes out as bad habits. So that so he's having trouble not using his fingers. It sounds like. Well, I think one of the things is why do you not want to use your fingers? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I I'm well aware that to play the instrument with the most fluidity possible at different dynamic levels. It's going to be a combination of my wrists, my fingers, even my arms sometimes, maybe not to move the stick, but to get me from place to place. So I'm trying to develop my fingers, develop my wrist, develop my fluidity on the kit. And then once it comes time to actually playing drum set, I throw all of that out the window. And I I just hope that the preparation I've done is enough to give me the sound I want. Um, but it seems weird to take the fingers out of the playing when you play really fast double circles, it's actually all arms. It's not what you think it would be. You think it's super fast, it's got to be fingers, but it, it's not. It's actually the arms are what create the pulse, and then you got to let the stick bounce. So I think you might be trying to force a technique on something that, that shouldn't be there. Uh, we we yeah, kind of have to see you play, though, to really assess that. That's a tough thing for sure. I think that that's what I call with my students the desired result technique. You tell me the desired result, and we'll build a technique around that. But I don't, I don't do a technique expecting a result. Um, I, I start with the result, and then I reverse engineer that and try to achieve that result. But whatever technique leads me there, I'm not going to argue with it. So if I could achieve the double stroke speed that I want and look down and all I saw was wrists and no fingers, I wouldn't argue with it as long as I got the sound and the texture and the speed that I want. Uh, if I was playing extremely loud metal music, but I was doing it heel down, but proficiently, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. As long as I got the result I wanted. Gene Hoagland is a heel down player now. You believe that? See? Crazy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, I think we address it. Really, that'd be like if you send us a clip of you actually playing, because it, you might actually be doing some, you know, really extreme finger only approach. But I have a feeling that you're probably trying to force your wrist because someone told you that you have to do that. Uh, I just say just play and try to get out of the way of it. Agreed. Okay, that's it. So we send your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Also send your intro beats to that same address, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. It's been working out great having you send them as attachments as well as Dropbox links or other places where we can download it. We haven't lost any beats since we've been doing that. Now it's time for Pick of the Week. You got something or you've been searching? No, I'm go? good. I'm ready to rock, buddy. Uh, my earbuds did lose their juice, so that's why I'm like holding the phone to my ear and then back because um, my Bluetooth earbuds lost their juice. So that ties into my pick of the week. I wish I had these right now, but they're at home. My pick of the week is the Audio-Technica ATH-M50. Wait a minute. Bluetooth. 
So the uh, Audio-Technica M50, those are like they're just standard headphones that you would see in every studio. And when I say standard, I don't mean cheap. I mean these are like almost industry standard headphones. They just are very honest. They do what they're supposed to do, and they sound fantastic. Well, they've now released them as Bluetooth. So catching up with the tech of Beats and everything, but without distor- coloring the sound too much. These things just sound fantastic, and they have a Bluetooth version now. So very classic headphone design, um, Bluetooth. You can charge the phones themselves. Um, they have a 40-hour charge, um, 40 hours of continuous play wow. on a single charge. Who nice. listens to 40 hours of music in a row? Nobody. So you're going to get probably three or four days or five days of playing out of one charge, which is awesome. There's also a built-in mic, so you can take phone calls while wearing the headphones, and you can control your music that's on your phone from the headphones. So really cool. Uh, check them out. They're about 200 bucks, and they're called the Audio-Technica M50 XBT. MBT stands for Bluetooth, so that's my pick of the week. Sweet. So mine is another accessory item that is one of those kind of I should have thought of this first. It is the Drum T, Drum and Cymbal Mutes. So you go to drumt.com. I've had these for a while, and I just completely forgot I had them. But I needed to, I was messing with the drum G's, and I wanted to deaden the snare drums so I could kind of hear what the rattly things did. It's essentially a piece of fabric that's been cut into a circle with an elastic band, so it goes perfectly over your snare drum or hi-hats or cymbals. So it... It just mutes them down the same way you would with a T-shirt or a tea towel, but it doesn't fall off. You don't need to stick them on with clips or anything. The snare drum mute, it turned my old 50s three-ply slingland snare drum that started out sounding like Philly Joe Jones. It made it sound like 70s funk just as soon as I just dropped nice. it on. $15. The cymbal mute is $13. Same thing. It, you really hear the difference on the cymbal. So if you're looking to quiet your practice kit down, this is a good option. It doesn't feel super weird like those rubber pads do, but it really quiets the cymbals down, and it makes the drum just sound real nice and thuddy. So the, the drum mute I'm going to be using in the studio often, the cymbal mute I'll be using when I just want to practice and not destroy my ears. And I want to make sure that you all know it's drum T-E-E, um, because when I went to drumtea.com, that's definitely a drummer. Uh, some of his former bands would be the Mark Bryan Trio, Myth, <laughs> The Winners, D-Rangers, Bonk, Bonk Nobles. Uh, so, yeah. So we're looking for drumtee.com. Yeah, check them out. They're on – I think they're on Instagram and stuff. Hopefully uh, these are – yeah, they have all different sizes. It looks like they have 8-inch drum mutes up to like 18-inch drum mutes, and they have – you know. Splash cymbal mutes all the way up to 20-inch cymbal mutes. So full range. You can, like I said, good for practicing and also really cool for just getting that dead kind of 70s funk sound. Awesome. That's it. All righty. So our well, outro, who we got? Uh, we have awesomeness. We have compression. We have gated reverb. <laughs> this is Tom. Tom Alderson. So Tom is – this is recorded at – uh, Gradwell House Studio, and he's uh, what's he got here? Tama Star Classic Bobinga Elite Kit with the Starphonic Brass Snare mixture of Sabian Hat cymbals. So cool, it's a cool sounding beat, and it sounds freaking amazing. So great recording, 
And uh, I will be talking to you next from either Poland, Germany, or Spain, correct? <laughs> Indeed. And I will be My here buddy. in New Jersey. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. If you are listening to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, please give us a five-star rating and a review. That helps other drummers find this podcast, which is our goal it is our goal to do what Modern Drummer did for me as a kid, which is to let you guys into the industry and the players and the gear and everything that makes this such an amazing thing for all of us. So until next time, later. See you next week. <laughs>